welcome all of our audience members. Uh, we really appreciate you logging on today for the LSO Venture Election Candidates Town Hall, where Russell will be moderating a discussion amongst fellow venture candidates for the upcoming election, Angelo Gong, Atricia Lewis, and Steve Benmore. We will also hear from Gavin McKenzie, a former venture, as well as the president of the Law Students Society of Ontario, Monica Santos. And we also really appreciate all of our speakers being here today for this discussion. And before I introduce them, I'm just going to take a few moments to let you know what you can expect over the next hour. So the discussion will be mainly focused on the following topics. What's the role of the bencher? Who elects them? The history of the convocation at the LSO? What's the role of non-lawyer benchers and how are they appointed? Reflections on the bencher experience? the role of students, and hot topics for the 2023 election. And the panel will also be taking questions from the audience, and you can submit your questions uh, through the Q&A, and they'll do their best to answer as many questions as time allows throughout the presentation. Um, I would like to note that this program has been accredited by the Law Society of Ontario and contains 35 minutes of professionalism content. And we also ask that you please note that the views and opinions expressed by the panelists during the virtual town hall today are their own and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Russell Alexander or our firm. But without further ado, it's now my pleasure to introduce our speakers. So first we have Gavin McKenzie. And Gavin is the co-founder of McKenzie Barristers PC with a litigation practice focused on appeals and professional responsibility issues. He has appeared as counsel in over 200 reported cases before many tribunals and all levels of court, including the Supreme Court of Canada. And Gavin was elected as a bencher of the Law Society of Ontario four times and was elected as treasurer on three occasions between 2006 and 2008. And next we have Angelo Gong, who is a bilingual lawyer admitted to the Ontario and Kenyan bars. Angela practices in downtown Toronto at her firm, Angela. Her areas of focus are wills and estates, immigration and business law and provides services in English and French. She is an OBA council member, a member of the OBA policy and public affairs committee, and a member of the executive of, of various OBA sections, including the Women's Lawyers Forum, and also a member of the Association Association des Juristes d'Expression Française. My French is a little rusty. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> uh, next, we have Atricia Lewis, who is a partner in McCarthy Tetro Litigation Group in Toronto. She is a trial litigator with a practice focused on commercial disputes, professional liability, and product liability matters, and represents clients in the financial services and technology sectors. In 2019, Atricia was elected as venture of the Law Society of Ontario and is running again in the upcoming election. In her current role as venture of the Law Society of Ontario, Atricia is the Vice Chair of Audit and Finance and the Equity and Indigenous Affairs Committee. Next, we have Steve Benmore, and he is a certified is certified as a specialist in family law by the Law Society of Upper Canada, and is the principal lawyer at Benmore Family Law Group. He was an adjunct adjunct professor of family law at Osgoode Hall School, chair of the board of Access for Parents and Children of Ontario, chair of the family law section of the Ontario Bar Association founding director and treasurer of the Association of Family and Conciliation Courts, Ontario Chapter, and founding chair of the Elder Law Section of the Ontario Bar Association. Next, we have Monica Santos. 
and Monica is a third-year law student at York University, Osgoode Hall Law School. She received a BA from York University's bilingual campus, Glendon College, in political science with a certificate in law and social thought. During her time in law school, Monica has pursued her passion of advocating for law students throughout her involvement as Vice President Internal and now President of the Law Student Society of Ontario. And next we have Russell Alexander, and Russell is the founder and senior partner of Russell Alexander Collaborative Family Lawyers. With nearly 25 years of experience, he uses his knowledge and his expertise to serve his clients in all aspects of family law and helps them in coping with the difficulties of separation and divorce, the division of assets such as homes and pensions, and the calculation and enforcement of child and spousal support. He uses his experience to create unique solutions for each of his clients to enable them and their families to move forward and supports them through the transition of divorce and separation. And on that note, I will pass things over to Russell. Great job as always, Shannon. Thank you for those uh, kind words. Let's run our first poll. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We wanna get a sense of who our audience is. Uh, usually when we do these live events, we can then tailor our subject matter to the audience that we have. Please give us your feedback. If you like this program or want more, let us know. You're going to get a short survey when this is over. We'll give you some additional information in the show notes about the venture election. The, um, please ask questions. We're, this is a Q&A. This is your chance to ask candidates questions about the election that's coming up. Uh, it's a great opportunity. There are CPD credits available, um, but put your questions in there. We're going to try to get to as many as we can. Let's see the result of our first poll. All right, 90% licensed practicing lawyer in Ontario. That's our voters. That's who we want to meet. So other professional 5%, member of the public too. Other, they're going to share anonymously. Thank you. One more quick poll. And then Gavin's going to uh, give us some information about the Law Society. Do you understand the role of the venture? I threw this poll in there because I went to a few AGMs recently including one here in Lindsay where I live. And after the meeting, a couple of lawyers came up to me and say, so what does a venture do? Uh, and how do you get elected? And, uh, you know, this kind of tweak, kind of tweak something in me. I think, you know, we don't really talk about this, right? As a profession, you know, the role of the venture, the election process, it can be a little bit complicated. Um, I know when I started, they used to know stuff in paper, now it's uh, electronic. Um, so let's see what our audience thinks about this question. Yes, 33%. No, I have no idea what a venture does, 19%. Somewhat, I know a little bit, but I want more, 49%. Well, you are exactly in the correct place because we have the world-renowned Gavin McKenzie joining us, and he's going to start us off with a little bit of Q&A, and then we're going to get to the candidates. Uh, but first of all, Gavin... Thank you for being here. What's the role of a venture? Well, thank you very much, Russell and, um, and Shannon. Um, this is a very important topic. It's, it's uh, clearly very topical right now with the venture election coming up. Um, I spent a number of years as an elected venture and as treasurer, as Russell mentioned. I found it very rewarding. It's very important work. Before I was a, a bencher, I served on various organizations, for example, as a director of the Advocates Society, which I enjoyed. But what I found was that 
the Advocate Society, for example, would be making submissions to government or to the Law Society on issues that were important to that part of the bar. Um, but it was the Law Society and Convocation that was making the decisions. Um, so it's, uh, as I say, it's important work and I commend everybody who's put their name forward as a candidate, either on a slate or as an independent candidate for choosing to run, um, as I say, very worthwhile work. Um, the Law Society has a very rich history. It's one of Canada's most venerable institutions founded by the first benchers of the Law Society in 1797. So it's 226 years old. Its traditions are reflected in the um, names or titles of some of its institutions and leaders. Um, benchers are directors of the Law Society. The treasurer is under the statute, under the Law Society Act, the president of the Law Society, but the title treasurer signifies that um, he or she is the first among equals. Um, and convocation is the institution whereby the benchers gathered together um, vote on issues and decide policy on behalf of the Law Society. The titles derive from the Inns of Court in Great Britain. Um, and uh, there are, in convocation, the, the, the role of the benchers is to govern the legal profession professions because now the Law Society regulates licensed paralegals as well as lawyers. Um, the, the, the mandate is to govern the profession in the public interest. Um, convocation consists of 53 voting members, 20 lawyers elected from within the city of Toronto and 20 lawyers elected from outside the city of Toronto together with five paralegals elected by paralegals and eight non-lawyers or appointed benchers appointed by the government of Ontario who are neither lawyers nor paralegals and who are there to represent the public in the affairs of the legal profession. One beauty of convocation in my experience is that the debates in convocation have always been at a very high level, um, high, high level of quality, I mean. And in contrast to a parliament or a legislature, um, I've always valued the speeches in convocation because they weren't informed by party politics. If David Scott or Phil Epstein or June Callwood, who was an appointed bencher or Vern Krishna or any of many other ventures in my day um, spoke, you knew that they weren't just hoeing the party line, they were expressing the views that they held individually. And I think that that has, that, that's something that we may be risking losing if we move to a system where we have in effect party politics and I'll have more to say that, say about that later.
Um, it has always been the case that different ventures interpret the law society's mandate to govern the profession in the public interest differently. We have always had ventures who interpreted that liberally, and we've always had ventures who interpreted that conservatively and who took the position that the law society should stick to the knitting, concentrate on its core functions of um, maintaining high standards, promoting high, high standards of <clears throat> ethics and competence. What's changed, that changed in the last election in 2019 as the result of a group of more conservative candidates banding together um, and and one that you know there was a controversial issue at the time that brought them together, and 22 of them were elected. <clears throat> and that slate, or or which I see as more of a conservative slate, um, it, it is uh, now opposed by I think what I could fairly say generally is a counter slate, a more liberal slate of ventures. And I think an unfortunate aspect of that development is the polarization that has resulted that hasn't characterized previous venture elections and the incivility that has characterized the campaigns of some ventures on each of the slates. Um, I find that candidates have been vilifying everyone on the other slate without distinguishing among the merits of individual candidates. I can't tell you how many times I've been approached by members of the counter slate who've tried to convince me that everybody on the conservative slate are unfit to serve as benchers and that a vote for an independent or unaffiliated, unaffiliated candidate is tantamounted, tantamount to a vote for the more conservative slate. And also that if the conservative slate is elected, self-regulation will be threatened. To be clear, in my view, there are highly qualified candidates on both slates, and there are qualified unaffiliated candidates. Diversity of opinion and convocation is to be encouraged. And my plea is for civility in the election and in convocation after the election. So I, I encourage voters to vote for qualified candidates on their individual merits not because their names are on one slate or another. Let me just finally say, um, talk a, a bit about issues that I see convocation dealing with um, over the next term. And by the way, there will be many issues that convocation will struggle with that are unanticipated at the present time. So that's one reason why I urge people to consider um, venture candidates on their individual merits, because the, the issues that are highlighted in the various campaigns aren't necessarily the issues that um, convocation will have to struggle with over the next few years. Um, I see transparency, um, for example, particularly in budgeting, as being a, an issue that convocation will have to deal with, I think perhaps better than they have dealt with in the past. I noticed that the more conservative slate 
um, is arguing that salaries of um, law society employees, at least at a certain or above a certain threshold level, should be made available to to um, lawyers and paralegals who are governed by the law society. And you know we've had that kind of sunshine law in the province of Ontario for 30 years now. Um, so I think that's a genuine issue that um, will have to be debated in convocation. I'm not expressing a view one way or the other on whether that's desirable, but I do think it's a legitimate issue to be raised. The other issue that I think is very important at this point is mental health and burnout in the wake of the pandemic. Um, we've certainly seen that just as citizens and members of the public. Um, but I think more and more lawyers are likely to suffering today from burnout and mental health challenges. And I think it's incumbent on the law society to do everything that it can to address some um, mental health issues. So those are my introductory remarks. Thank you very much for your attention. Great stuff, Gavin. I'm just going to ask you to hang on for a minute. Let's run poll three. We're going to have an audience quiz. because If you're listening to Gavin, you may know the answer to this. How many votes are you entitled to cast in this year's venture election? So we'll give everybody uh, a chance to mm -hmm. vote. And in simple terms, Gavin, convocations like Parliament, right, is the, or Congress in the U.S. That's our governor. That's, that's sort of when the legislature meets is the benches get together and decide policy. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Okay. And um, let's see what our audience thinks. We'll just give them a few more minutes. Welcome, Patricia. It's good to see you today. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, I'm entitled to... 20 and 20, 55%. Well, there you go. We've got a fairly, it's 40 votes. So vote early, vote often. And it's an unusual setup because there's regional considerations in the voting. There's some inside Toronto, some inside Toronto. Let's run poll four as well. Um, Shannon, while we have uh, the audience engaged. And I'm just gonna ask you, Gavin, while we're waiting for this poll to uh, populate, What's the function or the role of non-lawyer ventures? They, they, they some are appointed and some are paralegals, right? Um, yeah, well, the paralegals are elected, but right. they're elected by paralegals to represent so um, paralegals. Only, only lawyers can vote for lawyers, paralegals vote for paralegals. That's right. And then we have some appointments. What's the function of those appointments and who appoints those ventures? They're appointed by the government of Ontario. Um, on the recommendation of the Attorney General. Um, and their, their rights are essentially the same as the rights of elected benchers. They're voting members of convocation. Um, they sit on committees. Um, some of them sit on the Law Society Tribunal as adjudicators of conduct, um, admission and readmission and capacity hearings. Um, so essentially, they, they, they fulfill the same role as elected ventures do. Has it been like that since the beginning, or did that develop recently? Um, that's not, it's not recent. There, there were, um, in my term as an elected venture and as treasurer, there were eight um, appointed ventures, or we called them lay ventures, 
um, at when, when I first became involved with the Law Society back in the late 70s or early 80s um, as counsel in discipline proceedings or conduct proceedings, there were four lay benchers and that was expanded, I believe in the late 80s or early 90s to um, eight, from four to eight. Okay. And I might add, we've had some excellent appointed benchers. I think I mentioned June Callwood as an example as right. appointed bencher who really more than pulled her weight as a bencher. And there were others. Some frankly don't, uh, are not nearly as well qualified, let me say that um, as politely as I could. And so uh, LSO's budget in number of people, um, the, the correct answer here is over $100 million and over 500 people. Is that right, Gavin? I, that's my understanding. I think that's yeah. correct. One final poll, and then uh, we're going to talk about the students' uh, experience, and then we're going to get into the Q&A for our candidates. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Shannon, can we run our next poll, please? And while that poll is running, um, Monica, could you just um, spend a few minutes and tell us about the student, who you are in the student experience and what, yeah. your, what, what question you'd like to ask everybody here? Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, as Shannon said, I am uh, the president of the Law Student Society of Ontario this year. And so my piece is that um, law students and licensing candidates are part of the legal community. Licensing candidates and students are subject to LSO rules and decisions made by benchers impact students and our future careers. Uh, yet there is no formal rule for licensing candidates or students to participate in LSO decision making. It is a principle of governance that the people and groups who are impacted by governance decisions are heard and represented. And that's why we believe students and licensing candidates should have a role. Some of the issues that the LSO and ventures have had to make decisions on that impact licensing candidates and students include, among others, minimum compensation for articling and law practice program uh, students and its implementation, and issues related to licensing and bar exams, including the change in licensing examination dates and the shift of licensing examination dates from in-person to online. Uh, in recent years, the Law Student Society of Ontario and LSO have worked together uh, towards greater collaboration in relation to matters impacting law students and licensing candidates. In my own experience as president of the LSSO, the dialogue and communication has carried forward to the point where the LSSO has been invited to certain meetings of the professional development and competence meetings where issues that impact students and licensing candidates are being discussed. Uh, in this venture election, the LSSO's priority is to urge candidates to support formalized, a formalized role for the LSSO, including its continued participation in the Professional Development and Competence Committee. We'd like to see benchers consider changes that would permit articling students to vote in bencher elections or otherwise have a representative at convocation like other law societies in Canada already have. The LSSO believes that student involvement in LSO decision-making enhances LSO governance in the public interest and that decision-makers can appreciate the experiences of the people who will be affected and in particular that the people affected will feel confident that this is true. 
We do look forward to continuing to develop a mutual relationship with the benchers elected in 2023 in order to ensure that those impacted by the decisions made by LSO decision makers are consulted and that they are able to participate in these decision making processes. So my question today is what role should students and licensing candidates have, if any, in LSO venture elections? Thank you so much, Monica. That was excellent. Really appreciate. Um, I, I love students and articling students and new members of the profession. It brings some excitement and some life back into what we do. So we're going to get to your question in a moment. I want to talk about these poll results, um, but thank you for that. So most important issue, uh, fees and regs, 26%, re presumptively remote core hearings. Come on, guys, that's my issue. We need better uh, better voting on that one. Good governance, 21%. Um, preserving my freedom of thought, stopping the woke, 3%. Uh, EDI and uh, enhancing um, roles of Indigenous, Black, and racialized lawyers and paralegals, 13%. Addressing funding issues for legal aid and law libraries, 11%. So fairly wide variety of issues there. So let's get into the fun stuff. Uh, we've set the stage. We've got the background. We know what our audience is thinking. Hot topics for the 2023 election. I'm going to ask the candidates we have here. We try to get as many uh, a diverse panel as we can in terms of the coalitions and independents. Um, I'm gonna ask each candidate to tell us what their top three issues are they'd like to promote as a venture, and maybe they can address uh, the question that Monica raised. So in no particular order, I'm just gonna go in the order of my screen. Angela, can you go first? Yes, thank you, Russell. And thank you so much, Gavin, for that introduction. I think it's really important to uh, explain the role of a venture, how it fits in the whole process, and uh, your input is absolutely invaluable. Um, I'm basically running for venture because there are certain issues that I find uh, to be very important, and that's not to downplay the issues that Gavin brought up, um, so that's um, transparency and budgeting, and also mental health, which is a serious issue. Uh, but the main issues that I want to contribute to are the barriers to entry that are faced by uh, lawyers that are trained outside of Canada, um, but also lawyers that go through the NCA process in Canada or that are having difficulties accessing the profession. The second issue that I find to be very important is articling. I think that it's undeniable that there is a crisis in articling. There's simply not enough articling positions for all the people that are looking uh, for a placement. Um, and I don't want to downplay the fact that the Law Society has, uh, has done a lot uh, to address that issue uh, by creating, for example, the legal practice program. But, uh, you know, in talking with uh, employers, law firms, uh, it's very clear that the LPP uh, is not addressing the issue. Uh, the LPP itself needs to be reformed so that uh, employers feel that they're getting candidates who are prepared uh, to do the work that they ask of them. And I think that there's also a need to look at ways that we can encourage people to sign up for the LPP, because from what I understand, uh, the uptake uh, has just not been there. You know, we were hoping that by creating that option, people would 
flock towards that um, and not uh, just wait and wait for articling positions, but that hasn't actually happened. People are still waiting for articles. People are still panicking when they're not able to uh, fulfill the uh, that uh, component of the licensing process. And I, I believe personally that it, it, it contributes to some of the mental health issues that we're seeing in our profession. And the third um, uh, issue that I really want to address if I'm elected as a venture is access to justice. Um, it is a serious issue, and I'm sure that a lot of my, my colleagues will agree. Uh, we are looking at different ways of addressing it. I know that there has been recently um, the uh, family law uh, service uh, provider permit that has been approved by convocation. But in my view, uh, it's just a, a band-aid solution to a deeper issue. And I think that there's really a need to look into the issue, find solutions that actually work, that address what's going on, uh, to ensure that members of the public, really the ones that we represent, are able to um, access uh, legal services. So those are, I would say, the three main issues that I'm concerned about. Uh, but of course, um, I do want to recognize that there are many other issues, including those that were identified by members of the public, uh, you know, EDI, um, also the access to law libraries uh, and proper funding for libraries as well, and uh, many other issues. What do you think of giving students a voice? Giving students a voice, I think, is very important, um, and I do, I'm very much aware that uh, the students are part of the consultation process when, when it comes to decisions that affect them, uh, so that's a good step. Uh, however, um, I did, uh, I did, uh, I was told recently that when convocation decided during the pandemic to increase the cost of, uh, of articles, uh, the licensing fee, the students weren't consulted. Um, it was actually done um, really um, without any kind of input from the students. They were taken by surprise. And uh, a lot of them were very disappointed because they they really tried to get a seat at the table. They really tried to, you know, to find a way of being heard and they just weren't given the airtime. So I think that it's absolutely important to take their needs into account because they are the, the lawyers of the future. Um, I don't know exactly how we can ensure that this happens all the time, uh, but it's certainly something that I would look into if I'm elected as a venture. Thank you, Angela. I know my son just got called to the bar and um, his experience was terrible. Convocation got kicked over. Some kids cheated on the exam that got canceled. Uh, fees went through the roof. It's a tough run right now for students, but um, Steve, your top three issues. Um, you're up next in, in the order of my screen, no particular order once again. Thank you, Russell and Shannon. And um, for the viewers and for our participants, I just want to wish everybody uh, a happy holiday. It's a good time of the year to say uh, hello to all of our people from various different ethnic and religious backgrounds. So for those celebrating or have celebrated Easter, happy Easter. For our Muslim uh, colleagues and friends, uh, Ramadan Karim, and for our Jewish colleagues and friends, uh, happy Passover. Um, thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm I'm really uh, honored to be sharing the screen with uh, the group, um, current ventures, past ventures. Um, our, our law, our career in law is very much based on tradition and collegiality. And uh, 
before we got on the screen, Russell, we talked about the role that Gavin McKenzie played in our early years. And I remember as a young lawyer 30 years ago myself thinking, wow, that's a smart guy and we are lucky to have him, him at the helm. And, um, and one of the reasons why after 30 years of practicing law, in my case, family law, um, I feel now is the time for me to step forward and, and contribute uh, at convocation and as a bencher is to follow the tradition of uh, people like Gavin and, and many others who have really devoted themselves, their intelligence, their wisdom, their commitment and their passion for social justice and ensuring the rights of the public are met and, and, and for the lawyers who we govern to believe in our organization and not run away from it. Um, in the last 20 years, more lawyers have ignored the bench election than lawyers who voted in the bench election. And according to my current estimation, um, if you're sitting in a room full of lawyers, um, the one in the middle voted, the one to your left didn't, and the one to your right didn't. Or two out of three lawyers just don't vote, which really doesn't make much sense considering that lawyers, many of them studied political science or um, are big believers in social justice and wanting to make a change in society. And yet at the same time, we uh, at the Law Society, ventures um, uh, have really alienated voters. And uh, it's, it's really sad that what has encouraged people to vote is a lot of slogans and fear mongering, something what Gavin spoke of earlier. So to bring it to a close, um, after practicing law for 30 years, in my case, family law and a small firm, I was one lawyer, then I was two lawyers. Now I'm at three lawyers. In other words, me plus two in Toronto. Uh, many of us working from home, coming into the office a couple hours a week to cross roads. Um, the legal profession has changed significantly uh, in the last few years, partly driven by COVID, uh, partly driven by other factors. And um, and I have five things that are important to me. And I can tell you um, the five, and then I'm gonna go back and elaborate a little bit. The first one is the mental health of our colleagues, of our lawyers and of our paralegals, our law clerks, our, our law students, our articling students. Mental health is something that is really, really concerning to me. And I'm worried about the, the people that Monica Santos represents because I don't know if they know what we know about how rigorous the practice of law is and how difficult it is to manage one's personal life while also managing one's professional life. And I think there's so much more that we can do at Convocation at the Law Society to really change that. Number two is access to justice. You and I, Russell, are family law lawyers. We have been for over two decades. And 57% um, of people going through separation and divorce are not using a lawyer. Not because we don't exist, not because we don't have the expertise, not because we are unable to provide value. They can't afford us. And they're choosing to do it on their own, some of whom are victims of violence, or they don't speak English, and they're floundering. Issue number three, I'm a certified specialist uh, in family law, and last year, I got a note from the Law Society that says, um, as of December 31, stop telling people that you're a certified specialist. I said, oh, okay, 
well, it doesn't really affect me very much, but doesn't that affect the public? I don't know about you, but if I have a skin problem, I'd like to go to a dermatologist and be told who's a dermatologist and who's a general practitioner. Well, that was changed by the Law Society. And then as a result of an uproar, the Law Society went back and said, we're gonna, re we're gonna reverse that decision, suspend it and study it later. Well, I think it's a public interest issue. People should be able to know who has met the necessary qualifications to be a certified specialist. And uh, I have, and, and, and many family lawyers or certified specialists are, are dear friends of mine and colleagues who I trust to soundboard issues. Uh, yesterday, I called a, another certified specialist and I said, I think I have a test case that involves a law reform issue that's going to concern thousands, if not tens of thousands of Ontarians. Um, certified specialists are an important part of uh, the public uh, sphere. And I think it's important that uh, certified specialists uh, participate in the discussion to preserve and fortify the program for the public's interest. Uh, the fourth issue is really just a matter of good judgment. Um, if I were a voter and the voter's job is to put together a professional sports team, and this is by the way of analogy to the 40 benchers, would we want to put together a team where people hate each other, where they call each other names, where each thinks the other is not capable of throwing the ball or kicking the ball or passing the ball, or they don't wanna pass the ball at all, or they'll only pass it to certain people on the team. That's a really horrible place to be if you're a voter and you're gonna cast a vote and you're gonna effectively build a team of 40 people who fight. I would hope that the voters who are gonna use their vote, use them to build a team that's collaborative so that progress can be made together and, and I've read some of the venture profiles and their uh, wish lists, including people that are on our panel today and others. Uh, you, Russell, I listened to your Justice and Pieces piece. For those that haven't, please go to Justice and Pieces. JP Rodriguez has created this free of charge. And uh, I, I said to Russell jokingly before we came on the screen today, I was looking for something to disagree with. I was unsuccessful. Everything that Russell said and by the way, we lawyers are really stop, good at stop, disagreeing. Stop. I don't want to hear any more. Stop. Bottom line is we need benchers that collaborate, that listen, that work together, and that make things happen, not that fight. And my last point is we've got some serious budgetary problems that need to be addressed. For those that are listening that, that don't know, the Law Society's budget uh, a couple of years ago, I last I checked, was about $140 million. And we employ about 600 people at the Law Society. Um, for those that don't know, we've got way more doctors. Um, and um, the doctors, uh, the College of Physicians budget is, uh, is about half of that. And they employ about half of that number of people. Um, so I think... I'd like to bring, I was three times a treasurer uh, in various charitable organizations. I was the treasurer of Humewood House, which is a not-for-profit charity that uh, houses pregnant teens and young moms. I was the treasurer of the Access for Parents and Children of Ontario, a transfer agency providing supervised access services in Ontario. 
and I was the treasurer for the uh, for the Association of Family and Conciliation Courts. I maintained the budgets, the bank accounts. Uh, I, I worked with the CAs, and 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 worked collaboratively with the board to keep our budget smart, sharp, contained, defendable, reliable, and acceptable to our constituents. And I hope to do that at the Law Society as well. So thank you for inviting me, and and thank you for listening, and for those that. Are, are tuning out after they've heard too much of me, um, tell your friends, the ones to the left and to the right, to vote because they're not going to unless you push them to and ask them to vote for people that are going to make a difference at convocation. Thanks, Russell. Great comments. The voter apathy is a real problem, right? It's 29% turnout, much lower than provincial and federal elections. I do endorse JP's uh, program, his podcast. Uh, he's got I think most ventures interviewed. So if you want to learn more about your candidates, we'll put a link in the show note. And just as a comment on your this concept of team, um, I think you know I think that really resonates when we're thinking about convocation. Uh, Dr. Goldman just came out with a book called The Power of Teamwork, and he was an ER, he's an ER doctor in Toronto, and he talks about his experiences uh, working in emergency uh, or during COVID. And all you gotta do is look at the Leafs, right? Lots of talent, no Stanley Cups recently, not working as a team. Don't wanna get too deep into it, but look at the book, it's a great read. And um, I wanna go to Attrition next. Thank you for being so patient. Top three issues, what do you say to Monica about the student issue and uh, the floor is yours. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. So um, my name's Atricia Lewis and I am a litigation lawyer at McCarthy Tetro. I was elected as a bencher for the very first time in 2019. As a bencher, I have the privilege and honor of being the vice chair of the Audit and Finance Committee, as well as the vice chair of the Equity and Indigenous Affairs Committee. Um, before I get into my top three things, I just want to correct the record on a few things. Um, Mr. McKenzie made reference to two groups, one being liberal, one being conservative. I reject that characterization, at least of the Good Governance Coalition. Um, I think that there are people who have all political stripes that are part of it. It's a big tent. I would not say it's liberal. Um, so that that's one thing that I think it's important. And then I also want to address the comments about civility that have come up a couple of times, because I think it's important for people to understand what's happening and what's happened in the last four years, half of which is behind closed doors. So I sadly cannot tell you all of it, but I can only tell you about what's out there in the public. But the stop, stop, now branded full stop slate, they, as part of their platform, they deny the existence of systemic racism and discrimination in the legal profession. So let me tell you, as a racialized woman who's working on the Equity and Indigenous Affairs Committee, I can't work with you if that's your starting point when we're trying to talk about reducing barriers for racialized licensees. There's just no work, there's just no working, there's no collaboration if your point of view is that racism doesn't exist. So I, I you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a bit defensive there because I don't think that's a fair expectation, frankly. Um, so so that's so that's that. But on my three important points, the first is responsible budgets. So, you know, I hear a lot of talk about fees being too high. But by the same token, I hear a lot about, you know, this service is important, you know, the certified specialist designation, uh, the libraries, 
All of those things cost fees. And what I think we need to do thoughtfully and responsibly and what I would like to see for us to do in, at the beginning of this next term is do a program review. Because we need to understand what programs we have, what are the trade-offs, what are the cost benefits? So for instance, someone might say, you know, you spend a couple million bucks a year on spot audits. Why don't we cut that? And I would say, great, let, let's talk about that. Let's think about that. But does that mean then all of a sudden now we're seeing more fraud committed and then the comp fund fees go up or we're seeing now more disciplinary actions and the discipline fees going up um, because now we're not addressing things early on? I think we need to study what our programs are doing, making sure that they're effective and cutting things that don't make sense. Um, and I think that needs to be uh, responsibly done. I think it's very simplistic to say we're going to cut by 30% or whatever percent. We also have a statutory mandate. Um, we have to do things like look at complaints. We have to do things like discipline uh, lawyers and paralegals who are engaging in misconduct. We have to compensate victims of fraud. If we don't do those things, that's when self-governance is at risk, because if we're not going to do them, the government's going to step in and do them. So I think it's important that people understand that there's just a, frankly, a baseline minimum that we have to do in order to discharge the statutory obligations that we have. But I think we can do it responsibly, and that's why I want to do a program review. That's my first point. My second point is on, um, I, I think, new calls. So I think that is a group. Of, of licensees that have been historically ignored. And it's quite, and I would say it's quite systemic. So to Monica's, you know, this was always part of my platform, but to answer your question um, directly, Monica, I think it's, I, you know, it, it's, it's upsetting to me that we don't have licensing candidates at the table when we talk about bar exams. You know, many of the most, if not all of ventures, except for me and maybe a couple others, didn't write the current iteration of the bar exam. They don't know what the bar exam is. And so it's hard for them to get feedback about what that is and what, and what can be done when they've not written it. Um, and so I think it's important in that, especially in that context that we have formalized representation from licensing candidates and new calls at decision-making tables, especially relating to those issues. Um, and so, so I think that that's that's one thing, and I and I'm open to different models. Like I think the easiest, probably low hanging fruit, is to have a formal system where members of the LSSO and maybe a new call comes to each uh, professional development and competence committee, which is a committee that decides competency issues. Um, but I would be open to having, and I think it would be cool for us to look at: Do we have a uh, a licensing candidate, venture candidate? Do we have a new call venture seat reserved? I think those are other ways that we can achieve kind of the same things. Um, but similarly for new calls, it's it, there's also, I think, important issues like mentoring. You know, that's I think that's the big issue. And we need to think about as a regulator, how do we encourage mentoring? I had, as I've kind of been campaigning, I had someone suggest to me the most brilliant idea, I thought, which is why don't we have mandatory, you know, we have mandatory CPD of 12 hours a year why not we why not add in another like extra mentoring hour for everyone above five years of call? I'm like, that's that's a great idea. Well, we should think about that. We should look into that. How do we encourage people to mentor? Um, because that's going to be very important for new calls. Um, and then uh, the third 
focus for me is on equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, it's a small part of the law society's budget. It's less than 1%, um, but, it's, but it, it's nonetheless, I think, important. Um, and candidly, in the last four years, especially given that we've been dealing with a group who doesn't believe systemic racism or systemic discrimination exists, um, hard for us to have done anything to remove barriers for racialized licensees. And I'd like for us to actually start working on that again. So those are my uh, three kind of key, key priorities. I think you're on mute, Russell. Sorry about that. Uh, thank you so much, Tricia. Let's run our final poll or one of our last polls while we're waiting here. And I agree the mentorship component is essential. It's a great tradition that our, our, our profession has and we can expand that. Um, Certainly, it would be a good thing. And thank you for the correcting the, the record. The um, <clears throat> I don't want to take up a lot of people's time. If you, everybody knows what my issues are, you would have received my letter by now, proving access to justice, fees and regulations, keeping them uh, balanced. Um, with respect to, uh, to Monica's question, I'm just sort of thinking of the American Revolution, right? No taxation without representation. So if these young students are paying law society fees or articling fees, they should have a voice in how that money's being spent. And I think that would be my approach. Um, the Let's go to uh, keep this poll up, Shannon. Let's go. I want, we did, I just want to mention, we did invite 10 full stock candidates to show up. Uh, nine of them declined. Edward Choi did confirm he was part of our dry run. Regrettably, he uh, canceled last hour. He had something urgent come up. So I want to give uh, some very limited time to that platform as well. We have a slide we're going to show. And I just pulled this off your website. I don't support or oppose. I, I'm just giving you the information so our audience can decide. So this is what they posted. Uh, stop the blow, reduce the society fees, um, stop the creep, restore its original mandate, and stop social engineering, identity politics, and woke or other ideological agendas from the law society. So that's their position. Um, we're not going to get into that other email that I had queued up, Shannon, right now, because I want to find out what our, and, and I just want to provide some balance to today's discussion. I'm not endorsing them, and I'm just saying, unfortunately, their candidate can't be here today. So let's see what our audience thinks um, in terms of how they're leaning towards voting. So one of the slates, 19%, independent, 5%, uh, blended combination of slates and independent, clear majority there, 56, not eligible. Well, thank you everybody for participating. The, um, there's a couple of questions. We're getting lots of questions coming in. I wanna thank our audience for sending them. They've been absolutely fantastic. Uh, there's a request that we put the Justice in Pieces link to that JP's uh, podcast. Shannon, if you can do that for our audience, that would be great. Uh, Gavin, an audience member uh, came in with a question. Is there a genuine risk of the LSO losing the right to self-governance or is that a threat being alarmist? Um, is that a threat being alarmist? I think it's alarmist. Um, that's, and I'm pleased by the results of the poll to see that a majority of the um, lawyers who are in attendance today plan to vote for a, um, a, a blend of 
candidates on one slate or the other and independent candidates, because I think that would result in the best convocation, um, the most balanced convocation. There are qualified candidates on both slates and there are qualified independent candidates. Um, I, I don't foresee, regardless of whether one or the other of the slates is elected entirely or primarily that there's any serious risk of our losing the right of self-governance. I know that some people, particularly on, on the, what I call the liberal slate, have a different uh, view of that. Um, but, but I don't think that's, that's um, on the cards. The government doesn't want to regulate the legal profession. They, they are very happy that uh, we, the lawyers, are prepared to pay for the regulation of our uh, profession. So I, I think that that's alarmist. I guess only time will tell. I may be wrong. I know that there are many who take a contrary view. By the way, the, the way I, the, the reason I prefer to refer to the slates or parties as liberal and conservative is that I, I don't like the titles that either of them have adopted. Um, I mean, I don't know what full stop means. Um, I know we've seen the policies that the slate as a whole is promoting. And this idea of good governance, the implication that we're in favor of good governance and you're in, is that you're in favor of bad governance, other slate. Um, and, and I really don't think that that's the case, at least in the, in, in, in the case of many of the individual I shouldn't say many, a number of the individual candidates who are, are running on part of the conservative slate. I think we need to, we need to recognize these slates uh, represent a portion of our profession and how they feel and think. And we need to respect that. Whatever slate you're supporting, this is, these are legitimate uh, ideas and concerns our members are having. But we had a question coming in here um, maybe Gavin, because of your experience, the law societies run deficits or do they just increase the, how does that, or do we just increase the amount we charge lawyers? The, the latter. It's like a municipality. It's like the municipality of the city of Toronto. You cannot run a deficit. So we're going to go $20 million over a budget. That means the 57,000 members or however we are, that our fees are going to go up a fraction. Yes. That's the way that works. Okay. Um, okay, Shannon, I think we're going to let's, I want to give everybody a last chance uh, to give their thoughts and comments, but I did receive this email. Let's throw it up because I think it uh, may make some good discussion. You can ask, give us your thoughts on this email or, or talk about something else, but we've got five minutes left. So we'll give all our candidates maybe a minute or so. Or so. so Gary Joseph sent me this email. Uh, he's a, uh, senior family counsel, and I, he writes a lot in, in on legal issues. He says, Russell, I respect you and support the need for more mediation and collaborative practice, but I cannot support the need for me to sign and acknowledge. He also sought some time ago, uh, the acknowledgement they sought some time ago with respect to EDI. I believe in EDI, but diversity includes diversity of thought and ideas. I don't want the LSO telling me how to think and how to view the world. So we can take that slide down. This is, um, this is, you know, my view is we can have both, right? We can have freedom of thought and we can promote EDI. It's not a binary decision. Um, 
but the, a good portion of our profession are thinking, I don't want the law society telling me how to think or do. And um, so this is out there. So I, I want to just give everybody here a chance to respond to that. Maybe you can go first, Steve. Sure. First of all, let me just say. Um, and any other did, final comments or respond to anything sure. you want. We'll give you a better you, you Everybody will get a you didn't introduce Gary Joseph with enough pizzazz. Um, Gary Joseph is uh, a lawyer that in many respects addresses so many of the issues we've spoken about in the last 50 minutes. Let me start with, he's a certified specialist. And many of us over the last 30, 40 years have gone to him because of the recognition that he has so earned and deserves. Um, secondly, Gary Joseph, and listen up, Monica, Gary Joseph has mentored hundreds of young lawyers who have entered the profession. He is a walking example of somebody that we want to clone and replicate as someone who really has done a tremendous job bringing on multiple generations of new lawyers and still does it. So much so, I spoke to one of his juniors the other day and I said, is he still doing trials? And they said, oh yeah, he's preparing for another trial and he's preparing for that trial with juniors. That's the type of lawyer we want. Gary Joseph is also somebody that really believes in the issues of social justice and the rights of representation. Gary has lost cases. No, you know, spoiler alert, he doesn't win all of his cases, but he puts his energy and he digs deep to represent people who have tough cases. And that's the sort of behavior that we want to um, we, we really want to um, congratulate and applaud. And, and Gary takes tough cases on and teaches young lawyers how to deal with the tough cases. So to the point, Gary Joseph, uh, by the way, one last point on Gary Joseph, he was a former recipient of the OBA, Ontario Bar Association Award of Excellence in Family Law, recognizing the great work that he has done and continues to do. Okay, EDI. Um, do we know that in Ontario, there's just over 11,000 law firms? Do we know what the percentage of them are that include lawyers, uh, law firm sizes of one to five lawyers? Bing, 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 answer, 10,855. 94% of law firms in Ontario are made up of lawyer size of five or less. And so when we talk about EDI, um, I invite people to actually read some of the data coming out of the Law Society. The current information that I have is just shy of 8,000 lawyers in Ontario are racialized, you know, making up a, a whole long list of people that fall into that category. And, and many of them fall into the small firms. And so it's critical that convocation reflects the reality of the workplace in law. And so Gary um, takes a very deep rooted view on the subject of EDI and, and uh, fairness of representation. I, I adopt Gary's view. Some of the views that Gary has him and I don't agree on, but on this one, I, I happen to agree with Gary that convocation um, needs to be a place where there is an openness, an open-mindedness to the consideration of the very people 
that serve the very people that lawyers serve. So there's two tiers here. We need convocation to represent Ontario and we need convocation to represent Ontario lawyers. And we need to blend the two together to ensure a collaborative, respectful and honorable discharge of our governance duties to ensure that Ontarians are well served. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. We have a tradition of ending this live event on time, every time, but we're not going to do that today because I want to give everybody their fair share. So I apologize to the audience. Uh, we're going to run a little bit late here. I take responsibility for that, but I want to make sure everybody gets a chance to be heard. So Angela, can you go next? Sure. Thank you, Russell. Um, to me, really, this is a question that has to be decided that we all have to decide together. Back to your point that, you know, everyone's views are valid and need to be taken into account. And really, it's not for me to decide what the law society's goals should be or what direction it should take. It's for the law society as a whole to make that decision. And we do that by balancing uh, various interests, uh, you know, for example, the need to have a society that is strong, that can grow with also, you know, the real potential of overreach. And to me, it's very easy to categorize people to say that, for example, some people are woke, other people are unfit to govern, some people are conservatives, other people are Republicans. Uh, I, I find that it's not very helpful to do that because, you know, everyone has something to bring to the society. And it's more difficult to actually find consensus. And that's what we really need. I think going back to uh, Steve Stephen's point, we need to be able to work together so that we can, uh, you know, we can basically build uh, a society that is representative of everyone. So it's it's not going to be easy, but that's pretty much uh, the approach that I'm uh, I'm going to take. I want to be able uh, to exercise my duties as a bencher uh, in a balanced way. I want to be able to consider everyone's position, everyone's um, ideas, and, and come up with solutions that actually benefit the society as a whole. Thank you, Angela. Uh, Atricia, can you go next, please? Sure, thank you. So your question was about um, whether or not the LSO tells anyone how to think. I don't think that it does, frankly, um, just knowing what the operations are of the Law Society. Um, the Law Society requires people to take cultural competency training, but we've seen, you know, the Court of Appeal just recently released a decision Sending the um, sending a matter back for a new trial because counsel wasn't acting competently, and competence requires being aware of racism, being aware of systemic discrimination, and properly advocating for your clients. We know the Supreme Court has said that a diverse bar is a competent bar, so I think the Law Society has a role to play in ensuring that there are that the the barriers that exist for racialized for Indigenous for other licensees, for diverse licensees are, are removed or reduced. So I think that's an important objective and that's one that I, I wholeheartedly support. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, Monica, 30 seconds or less. How's your experience been today? You've talked that out pretty good for a new kid on the block. No, my experience has been good. And um, it, like I'm extremely grateful to have been given the chance to speak on behalf of students today. and. Uh, been given the chance to hear everyone speak. Um, I wish more students were here to hear everyone speak. And like I said, actually have a role in 
all of this, but um, yeah, that's our hopes for the 2023 venture elections candidates. So, Gavin, any final thoughts before we uh, bring Shannon back on? No, I don't think so. Thank you again, Russell, for um, and, and Shannon for um, your the, the work you've done in organizing this panel. I think it's been very valuable. Thank you, uh, Gavin. Your insight has been immensely uh, helpful. Uh, Angela, Steve, Patricia, great luck with the uh, the election. I want to thank you for stepping up and putting yourself out there, making yourself vulnerable, and uh, I wish you all the best of success. And Shannon's back to bring this train into the station. Welcome back, Shannon. Thank you. And yes, as Russ mentioned, we would like to extend our gratitude once again to all of our panelists, Gavin, Angela, Tricia, Stephen, and Monica. Thank you for joining Russell for this discussion. And as he said as well, we wish you all the best with the upcoming election to all the candidates. And we would also like to thank all of our audience members today for tuning in and participating. We really appreciate that. Great job, Shannon. Thank you so much. Thanks to our audience for joining us today. Remember, vote early and vote often. Have a good afternoon, everybody.